episode 06 of Gaming NBS RPG Settings. One of your co-hosts, Sean. And I am Brett. Thanks for joining us this evening. Got a few announcements to kick the show off. I'll turn it over to Brett briefly so he can uh, knock out some of those. And Brett. All right. So the first one up is Gamehole. Um, we've had, uh, if you go to our website, you can see a little logo for them. And I just want to pimp it one more time. It's uh, probably won't even be the last time. It's it's local, right? We're Madison boys. It's in town. And it's coming in like two weeks. So if you don't have a place to stay yet, you need to find somebody here in Madison. Buy the beer, buy the pizza, get in there. And it's going to be a lot of fun. The con's only growing. And um, my friends that have booths at it and the people I know who have been involved with Alex and the, the, the other folks that run it, they say it's really well run, a lot of fun. It's, uh, it's going to be a good time. So I'm hoping you guys get down there. If you can, maybe you can spot Sean and I. We'll be roaming around at some point and uh, say hey to us. Tell us what you think. That'd be really cool. The other one is we have our um, our hotline set up. Sean got us hooked up with 929-BIG-DICE. Big-DICE. <laughs> so uh, we've got the, we got the old um, voicemail set up there. Give us a call. Um, flame the hell out of us. Tell us how much we suck. Tell us how awesome we are. We always listen to those. If you got an opinion or a question or something you'd like us to address or you, know, you just want to hit us that way instead of over Twitter or email or something, feel free. It's another way to get a hold of us. That's 929-244-3423 for those that can't spell big dice. dice. Right. All right. So the other one is um, our buddy Mo, the Canadian gaming god. Um, he heard our shout out from the last one. He said, hey, I got it. Here's a trick for you. Here's how you can actually pronounce my last name. So I'm going to give this a shot. He gave me a nice little uh, little piece here. It's Tusano. So it's Mo Tusano. Canadian, French name. Should have put it together, but I didn't. As penance, Sean and I agreed that we would help um, pimp out Mo's RPG Geek, the 24-hour RPG contest voting. The voting ends on the 22nd, and from what Mo's telling us, we need way more people to get involved in this thing and vote. I did, the, I did my part once I saw that from Mo. I jumped out there and voted. They only have, you know, a dozen, maybe more people. The theme this year was travel. Moe's entry is a fantasy trip, and it's a mashup of traditional fantasy RPG, like a D&D, and the classic road trip uh, game, I Spy, that you play uh, in the car with the kids or even with your buddies. We'll have a link out there in the show notes. Get out there and vote. The folks in there put a lot of time and effort into it. It's always, it's just, uh, it's that geek um brotherhood thing right the family brotherhood sisterhood get out there vote for these folks they put a lot of time and effort into it so it's worth worth throwing them a vote the last one i want to bring up was um robin laws um he had uh, uh feng shui 2 his kickstarter which is completely kicked he um knocked that sucker out of the park because pretty much everybody figured it would An interesting thing kind of uh, developed during and i didn't find out till after which of course i have you know i'm not a close friend of robin so there's no reason i'd know but he announced that his mother passed away on the 29th of September. 
which is pretty much dead in the middle of when he was running that Kickstarter. And being the classy guy that Robin is, he, I'm going to paraphrase this, and he basically said, look, you know, I told personal friends and I told some of my colleagues, but I didn't want to get it out there and influence how people would pledge. I don't want people to take my personal grief as, you know, impacting how they pledge, the type of money they would send. They don't want to fund it. They do want to fund it. Take it on its own. Take it as feng shui too. It's supposed to be this cool over the top game, a lot of fun. Don't worry about this. So just, I've met a lot of people over the years who would have used that personal crisis to try to, you know, oomph the dollars, you know, and uh, Robin's just too too bloody classy to do that. So Robin, be, uh, from Sean and I, you know, we're, our heart goes out to you, man. I, um, I'm very sorry to hear about your mother. That, um, that's terrible. And uh, hopefully you can get through this uh, with you and your wife. So best of luck to you, man. Yeah, our sincere condolences to Robin Laws and his family. So on to Random Encounter. This is where we talk about messages from the audience, from our fans via email, G Plus community, Twitter, what have you. And so with this one, Mr. Nick. Mr. Nick leaves us a message on G Plus after our episode 05 where we discussed systems our different RPG systems. And uh, he writes, Hey guys, just finished listening to episode five. If you have an interest in science fiction in the dark future, check out Fantasy Flight Games. Two books in particular, Dark Heresy and Rogue Trader, look really good. I haven't played it, but the system is really simple. The biggest caveat, the system is focused on bringing 40K to life. If you don't like that particular genre, then you won't like the books at all. Now, I know Brett's probably looked into a little bit of 40K. I only know it from the tabletop miniatures, and I know that there is a corresponding RPG, but I haven't played I haven't played either one. Um, and I know they got some big monster novels out there I've seen in the bookstores that are like three-inch wide binders just for like a paperback novel and i don't know the universe very well but uh that is a good one i know they're really quality made books i mean i've seen them and picked them up and they're really really nice glossy paper and the um real awesome binding and the artwork and everything i don't know if i just haven't gotten into 40k myself but maybe brett can comment on that i don't know i've read enough of the world itself between the the minis that my buddies are doing as i said before and i actually have a, a fan of dan abnett the guy who did uh, Gaunt's Ghost, that series. I like those. The whole 40K thing is really cool to me. And I have looked at Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader. I think there's there's a couple others as well. They're all different aspects, 40K world, and ways to roleplay within it. And um, there's been a, a desire to have a 40K RPG for years. And uh, this one's supposed to be pretty good. The folks I know who have played it that I've talked to love the hell out of it. I believe it is going into a second edition. I'm not positive of that. But it's one of those things that I need to decide if I'm going to put the cash into it, pick it up, or not. It's it looks really cool, and um, it's from Fantasy Flight, and Fantasy Flight puts out good stuff. I mean, just all the way around, production value is yeah. going to be through the roof. It's going to be great. So yeah. I just got to figure out if I want to dump the cash. Yeah, I agree. Fantasy Flight does put out some pretty top notch stuff. And then the second one from Random Encounter. So I just got one little thing I want to say is that if you want to mix, this is just to anybody out there. And this goes into the whole what kind of persona you want to put out on the net, right? This is, you know, um, your obnoxious uh, Uncle Brett, if you will. But if you want to mix politics with your gaming post, you need to be prepared for what's going to happen. 
You're going to create arguments. You're going to have fights. People are going to hate you. You're going to gain and lose fans. That's okay. Just remember, you asked for it. Politics and gaming, though? You you run into that pretty often? There is. It, the interesting part is that I see a number of people that don't, within Google+, Plus. I don't think they know how circles work, and they don't have a politics circle. They don't have a, a public one versus a, just a gaming group one or whatever. But I've got a number of folks that I'll, I'll see, and they'll put these posts out there that are their political view one way or the other on whatever the topic du jour is of the moment. And I'm like, really, guys? This... 90% of what you put out is, you know, goblins versus orcs and dwarves and this and that and space this, space opera that, or whatever the case is. And all of a sudden, blah, about politics. And then someone starts a brawl with them, and then it's this big, ugly thing. I'm like, really, guys? You know, you're you're in the wrong group for that. Ah, <laughs> uh, so that's different, right? So they're not mixing the gaming and politics in the same post. I no, not in the same okay. post. Not in the same post. Just it's the audience. If you're going to mix up the audience, right? If you're going to go to a uh, comedy club and in the middle of the comedy club you start, you know, pimping Amway, you're going to get some weird feedback. It's the same thing. Dude, you got your circles. You got your circles set up wrong. I probably it's probably my fault, but that there I had to I had to bitch about that now I feel better about it. So. I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you that I could do an it wouldn't even take an episode. I'm going to tell you how I set up circles and this will alleviate the issues that you're having maybe. Are you ready for this? Do it. Lay it on me. You set up four circles, and then you set up another four circles. And the first four are incoming, and the second four are outgoing. And you can name them whatever you want. The first set, the incoming, you actually set them up. One is called notifications. Flow one is the second one. Flow two is the third one. And flow three is the fourth one. And what happens is you start out with the people that you think are really cool and you dump them all into like flow one or flow two. The ones you truly want to see that don't tick you off, that post exactly what you want to see every day. Boom, put them okay. in there. The ones that you're kind of on the fence, you put them into flow three, right? It doesn't matter what your connection with them is, whether it's gaming or just a personal relationship or maybe you... I don't know, ran into them professionally, put them in flow three, right? And then what happens is they, as they interact with you and you want to hear more or less, then you start sliding them up and down the notifications, flow one, flow two, flow three. So if notifications, somebody posts in there, you actually want to get notified for it, right? Those are the heavy hitters you want to keep in touch with. Touch with. This flow one, you crank it all the way up to full volume. So anything that they post is in there, but you just don't get a notification. And then flow two and flow three. So flow three doesn't, you may have a lot more people in the flow three circle, but they don't show up as often. But there's a lot more. Okay, I like that. You've talked talked to me about this before, and I'm liking... I'm liking this more. I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm listening to uh, my 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 more reasonable uncle Sean. That's right. And I'm going to fo- I'm going to follow his advice this time. That's a good call. So when if somebody somebody does that and they're kind of like, hey, I've got them in flow too, but I just I think they're kind of getting off the beaten path, and I don't want to see as much of the stuff that they're posting recently. Knock them down into flow three, right? Then here's another one. So on the outgoing, you can categorize people, right? So if you're going to be posting different stuff, then you can select public, extended, just your circles. 
And then you can start posting to just the outgoing circles. So if you're a technical person and you want to share technical stuff, um, like I think uh, Thor uh, Arcevald, I think I can't butcher his name, but he did. Um, oh, shoot. What's the one RPG, Brett, that I had that I showed you? Um, the old school. He works with oh. Luke Crane. Uh, uh, Burning Wheel? No, no, not that one. Crap, I don't remember. Kevin did it at Gen Con. I can't remember the name of it. The, a lot of chits in it. You didn't really. Yeah, you, you mentioned it to me, and I'm. Shit, I see it. Jesus! It. <laughs> Damn it. Anyways, Thor Oswald, he he's, works for like CIO Magazine, so he'll post stuff for CIO Magazine, and he probably knows I'm a technical guy, so he posts that. And he probably posts it maybe just to me or public. Regardless, when you're posted outgoing, you can choose different audiences based on your own subject matter. Now, also, what you could do is if you got somebody in Flow 3, and you don't want to necessarily like ditch them completely, block them, or remove them from your circles, but maybe you just don't want to hear from them at all, but they're interested in hearing from you, just drop them into an outgoing circle. They'll never you know go. you uncircled them. Okay. I'll and like then, it. and then though they won't show up in your stream, and then if you reconsider later down the road, or maybe they comment on something, then you can kind of move them again. I'm telling you, it, it's good stuff, and you shake it up a little bit. That's Google Plus circles for you in a nutshell. And if you're not on Google Plus, get on there. What are you doing? <laughs> cool. No, I like that. I like that. I'll. Uh, I'm. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm. I'm doing it right now. And you I'm know what? It if right it doesn't now. work, then you go, hey, Sean, that that crap that crap did not work. You're stupid. And I'm all right with that. Okay. All right. So there, I didn't want to take the whole show to talk about Google+, Plus, but you and I, I know, are pretty big advocates. Now on to the main show, topics of discussion, which is settings, or what somebody may say is low, medium, high, one, two, three, five, or 11. <laughs> We're talking about RPG settings tonight. Um, and to start off with that subject, because we could talk for multiple episodes on all this stuff, even if we broke it down into individual settings. But I think the, generally, the general topic or what we want to hit is just the different ones that are out there, covering them at a high-level overview, if you have a particular setting that you like or you enjoy, drop us a line on the 929 Big Dice Hotline or drop us an email, Twitter, Google+. So we're going to start out, Brett, homebrew versus published. Yeah. So when I was younger, it was all published all the time because that was just, quite frankly, I wasn't sure how to do what I wanted to do and so on. Well, define a lot. Define what published is to you. Okay. All right. Let's do that then. So published to me is something that is like Greyhawk, Forgotten Realms. Um, what makes them published? What makes them published is that a game designing company um, creates a world, and they put it out, and then they have adventures set in it. They have setting books, splat books, maps, um, all that accoutrement that goes with the setting where you could say, hey, I have everything from the world of darkness. I have everything from Warhammer Fantasy. I have everything from... Whatever, um, GURPS goblins. I have all the GURPS goblins stuff that they've ever put out, so I can do that. There's actually only one book on GURPS goblins, so it's not that hard. But anyway, you basically have a thing one, you can collect, and two, that you have pre created monsters, uh, adventure ideas, 
NPC landscapes, all of those things that in a homebrew setting, I would have to sit down like I did with my Avalon world and create it all myself out of my head or out of different sources or whatever the case may be. You've got to build it all where this is somebody else did all the heavy lifting for you. So you don't have to do it. No, that's a good explanation. Absolutely. I think the, the only, I think, and you touched on it briefly, I would say the locales are the big thing. Like the, the, they're all, all the countries and all the city, well, not all the cities, but the countries and the big governments and how everything kind of puts together are all kind of established by the publishing house, which is what you mentioned. So then you were going to go into talking about growing up, you, you prefer, I know you're a big homebrew guy. I am now. I am now. Absolutely. When I started, my first love was I really liked uh, Dragonlance. That was the world. Mm-hmm. I read the I read the uh, the first three Dragonlance books, the Chronicles, before I'd actually even started um, playing in uh, in a Dragonlance world or anything. But that was like a really cool world I wanted to get into. And then Greyhawk, Forgotten Realms. Obviously, I had a D and D background at the start. Middle Earth, the Merp system by Iron Crown. I knew that world. That was a lot of fun, and um, it was cool because. This company put out this stuff, and it all worked, right? I to, to your point earlier, or I should say just a second ago, around the demographics between country A, country B, and country C. They have spies over here. They don't like this. You've got this group of people doing this other thing. They get along. They don't get along. They're at war. Here's the history behind it. Here's some notable NPCs, some rumors of treasure, artifacts, and names. And there was a familiarity to it that anybody uh, could go out and grab stuff, Right. My friends, you could go out and buy, at the time, the uh, the Front Realms box set or the Greyhawk box set or whatever, and you could read up on that setting, right? If you were into Traveler, you could buy the Traveler books and read up on what they were doing, and you could get an idea of what the ships were like, what the guns do, what this does, and so on. And then it gives you a very, um, what do I want to say, it's a, it's a very common starting point to understand, like, hey, we're going to play a... Forgotten Realms game. Oh, I totally know what that is. Why? Because I've read five novels. I have four adventures. I have the core book, or whatever the case may be. Everybody knows who Elminster is. And it's like Middle Earth. You know who Gandalf is? You've got a pretty good idea. Good. Off you go. Star Wars. You know, it's it's a setting that people know. And uh, when you mention, mention like the Force, Emperor Palpatine, you talk about Wookiees, you know what that is, and you have a good understanding because it's supported and built by somebody else. So that's a good explanation now versus homebrew. Do you want to touch on what homebrew is and what that consists of, like how it differs from a published, what uh, what some would probably sum up in two letters, IP or intellectual property, right? Yeah. See, homebrew is that it's custom designed by you and your group uh, and the stories that you want to tell is how I look at it. Um, the players tend to have much more input into what's canon from uh, my experiences. Um, the group becomes the masters of the setting together. It becomes this thing that you've built as a crew where you've sat down. And now with my group, I've got a couple of p- players that are newer that have joined up. And, let, and I'll mention something uh, about my Avalon world. And half the group goes, ah, yes, the lamplighters. I remember those bastards. That's They're sneaky. I think they're demons. Somebody else says, no, I think they're something. No, they're dangerous. And the new guy says, what, what, what's a lamplighter? Oh, Jesus, you didn't read this that little source blurb Brett put out? Oh, go to, the, go to the wiki page he built and take a look at that. That's, that's good stuff. And it kind of helps everybody. It's this very insular, not, maybe insular is a horrible phrase for it, but it's, the, um, it's, it's just one group. 
It's a very private knowledge. It's kind of the secret thing that you and your group knows about. People that come in, you're the master of that domain. And um, it's all built by you and your team together. It's a lot more, in my opinion, it's a lot more legwork on the Game Master's part or whomever owns the world, if you will, or does the bulk of the work in it because that's the person who says what classes are allowed, what races are allowed, what game system fits in the best. Excuse me. Um, what do you want to do? Um, how, how harsh are the winters in this part of the mountains? What, what happens if the somebody awakens a ancient evil dragon that you didn't have any plans to do or, you know, whatever the case is, there's no other authority outside of your group to tell you what's supposed to happen. Right. It's not like if you played, we we're picking the front realms. It's not like TSR back in the day or Ed Greenwood's going to come and tell you you're doing it wrong. Right. Like we said last time, there's no gaming cops, but there is a official canon and a tone and a feel. And there's generally an understanding of what is allowed or what makes sense in this setting as it's written. And as soon as you diver- um, diverge from that on a different path, it becomes not that setting and you start homebrewing it, it becomes a little bit different. My version of the realms allows for X. My version of the Star Frontiers world doesn't have Sathars. It has aliens and predators because that's what I want over there or whatever the case may be. The homebrew, and to me, a lot more work but a lot more rewarding because it's a joint thing that you end up doing with your with your team. Well, you know, that's interesting that you bring that up because, I, you know, one thing, some people kind of look at it and say, well, if you buy a setting then it's the setting as it is and then if you've got homebrew then it's something that you create yourself and then you bring the players in and you kind of build the world as you present itself however there is that middle ground which i really didn't consider until you just touched on it where you could actually have a published intellectual property like Greyhawk, Forgotten Realms. And though the publishing house dictates kind of the meta setting and what's going on, what's not going on, or who's the main NPCs in the world, if there are any, you could actually just use that setting, use the maps, use some of the towns and the fluff that comes with that setting, but then make it your own as well. So you don't even so you don't even have to get you can get the setting and then you can disregard all the stuff that's in there. So like Dragonlance, you touch on, you can say, okay, great, here's Draconians. You know, era comes into play, and the time that you're playing in that world can be a factor. But you can kind of, as a DM, make it your own and say, okay, all the Draconians don't exist, and this is why. Or Maybe it's some other evil force that's in the world, and you don't have to follow what's dictated by whoever owns that particular setting. In this case, it happens to be Wizards of the Coast and you know, even Margaret Weiss in the past. Well, that's, that's actually how, for me, that was like my gateway drug, if you will, for homebrewing. Was now, at this point, the Forgotten Realms has changed a bunch, obviously with each edition and so on. But if you play Brett's Forgotten World, uh, Forgotten Realms, excuse me, Forgotten Realms game, it's going to be first edition AD&D because that's the realms I like, and that's the realms that I grew up with, and that's the one I love the most. Now, somebody, my pl- well, so I hate to interrupt, but somebody may say, well, I don't understand. Why does, what's the difference between first edition Forgotten Realms, second edition Forgotten Realms, third, fourth? I mean, isn't isn't that a place? Why are editions... The, the thing to answer that, what happens is that, at least for the realms and my, from my perspective, is that at each point, 
when they had to change the cosmology, they had to change the way magic worked, they had to drop races, classes, and different things, right? Your first ed had assassins and monks, and um, bards were like this weird wonky thing in first ed. Second edition, AD&D comes out, and there's no more half-orcs as player characters, really, officially. Um, there's no monk. Their bard is now a regular class. Anybody could be anywhere. So when they do that, then it's that to your what you were just saying, though, is the official canon of the game is, hey, we've made these changes. These gods now operate a different way. You have different spells. The spell doesn't affect things the way it used to. Hey, this other thing, you know, that whole assassin class, yeah, we don't do that anymore. Now they're just thieves that get paid to kill people or whatever the case is. And then third edition comes around, hey, yeah, you know what? We're bringing all that back, and we're going to change it up. And now people have feats that they didn't have before. And, um, oh, by the way, through second and third edition, we've also expanded it into the Red Wizards are bigger. We have Mestika. We have all these other components of the Forgotten Realms that are now more. The world's gotten bigger. The canon's gotten larger. There's more people within uh, the, the IP space that are adding to it or subtracting from it. It happens in a lot of different, a lot of different settings. And not just pick, and not just picking on the realms for it, but it happens a lot of places. And when you have a setting that you're comfortable with, and just you're like, you know what, I I ended up tying the realms to an edition because that edition had the features of that world that I liked. Yeah, that makes much more sense when you explain it. And obviously, the well, and the realms has gone through a lot of changes just because it's been at the forefront of a lot of D and D productions, right? Editions. Um, and now it's going through its own things from fourth to to fifth edition. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. Um, so why? I mean, obviously the big benefits for published versus homebrew is time. I think like it's you, huge. Yeah, you do homebrew and you're like, oh, dude, it's my next game. I'm blah blah blah. My whatever world. And I'm like, man, I don't know where this guy finds the time to sit down and whip all this crap up. I would be totally inundated and maybe it's just be, maybe you prep really quickly where I just I wouldn't be able to do it Cliff's Notes wise and think that I have enough stuff to cover with my players where published advent or published adventure published setting would be just so much easier to just kind of whip out and go you know here's some of the races if you want to know where you're from just grab this book look it up where the dwarves are from pick a location that's popular with dwarves and then you know there you are um, so I don't know how your dynamic is with homebrew over published. Now, are you still doing, are you doing stuff right off the, you know, all original content on your end? Or are you using like a pre-established setting and then just making it your own? At this point, the Avalon world I have is mine. I built that. Um, I built it like 15 years ago plus. And what's happened is... When I have downtime or whatever it is, I will I'll write notes. I'll say, "Hey, I like this idea." I'll craft up a bunch of stuff. It's not I'm not a writer, right? I, I'm not Ed Greenwood or somebody who you know these guys crank out great stuff. I'm no Neil Gaiman. And Ed is take- and and we should know Ed for people that don't know is the original author of Forgotten Realms. Correct. Right. I've read a bunch of how he does things, and one of the things he does, he said, you know, I get inspired for this type of adventure idea, so I take some notes. It's one of the reasons I carry my iPad with me. Wherever I go or my phone, I take a quick uh, voice note if I'm in the car and I think of something. Um, but I also, the way I game master is I'm very uh, improv. I have a concept of where I'm going to go. I, I refer to it as my Alpha Omega concept, and we could maybe talk about that in another show. But the idea is I know where I'm going to start, and I know where I'm going to end, and I've got key cool stuff that's going to happen at some point in the middle. 
and that's enough for me. And then I just roll it from there. I just go. I know the world well enough at this point that I I know the personalities. I know the types of personalities that should be in this section of the city versus that section of the city. If you're in the outlands in the far north versus down by the ocean or way west or way east, I just know that. So it's pretty easy for me to be kind of on the fly um, to, to come up with that stuff. Now, to um, one of the things you said, though, I just I want to make sure that I throw this out there, too, is I steal shit all the time from other settings. I'll pull in a Greyhawk adventure, the map at the very least. One, I don't have time to come up with really cool dungeon maps. There's a ton of them out there. So I pull in dungeon maps all the time. I've run Keeping the Borderlands and just Avalonized it for my homebrew world. Change a couple things here and there, but keep on the Borderlands, for gosh sakes. It just has different types of critters, but I have the, the same general concept. I've done uh, Tomb of Horrors in that setting. I just Avalonized it to fit. And there's no reason you can't do that. I mean, the old modules, when they would come out, they were modular, and they would say, hey, it won't take you much to change this to whatever location your world is. You know, but hey, here's where this were. This is in a desert. This is in a jungle. You know, wherever in your world you happen to put a jungle, this is where you'd run this adventure. So I steal stuff all the time. So I know that we haven't really fleshed out and wanted to go into doing a homebrew setting because that could be a whole episode by itself, like where to start. Absolutely. Right. And so, but having said that, why would one person want to go homebrew versus published? I think homebrew for me, I love part of it, I feel. This is sounds horribly arrogant. I feel I'm very creative, and I love to do this stuff. It's fun for me to sit down when someone says, "Well, this bargeman's from the West Side. What? How does he deal with this?" And boom, I immediately come up with something in my head that says, "Oh, West Side bargeman. He sounds like this. They act like this. They have an issue because they don't believe in the same Shanghai Shen, the god that the other bargeman worship. They worship him slightly different." And I just made that up right now, dude. I mean. That's just something I do. That's incredible. I know it's awesome. I'm so I'm sexy. Blown away. <laughs> but anyway, it's it, it's not like it's magic. I mean, tons of people do this. I've met many game masters and players that just develop stuff on the fly, and it's fun. I really like it. I, I have a great deal of fun with it. And if it comes down to, did I have the time to do all the initial grunt work? Right. Um. To help shortcut things, I'll go through uh, a Pathfinder when I'm running it with the Pathfinder setting. Is I'll I'll use the core stuff and the options within the core. I'll say this goes, that doesn't, this works, that doesn't, and just tell the players, hey, use the stuff out of the core book. These things are in, these other things are out. Done. I don't have a ton of core custom races. I don't have core sp- uh, custom spells. I don't custom the hell out of everything because once I start doing that with the rules, that's a ton of work for me. World creation to me, is not that difficult if I remember that the core rules are still the core rules. You know, I keep those, be they Pathfinder, Osric, GURPS, uh, First Ed AD&D, um, Savage Worlds, whatever. I keep the core rules in my head. I know how that works, and I just make, you know, build the setting around it, and someone says, oh, it's a fighter. Yeah, I'm running Savage Worlds this time. That means it's X. I'm running Dungeon World. That means it's Y, because this is how fighters in that system work. It's essentially system agnostic setting because I don't make it so that it can only be played with one particular rule set. Does that make any sense to you? I think so. I think what you do is is a good way to do it. Um, one thing that comes to mind about settings... So I, I have this kind of... Yeah, 
you know, settings kind of, they're good and bad to me. Like the good thing is, is that they can be established. You hand somebody a book because they'll be like, well, where are we? Where, where are we? Where are we now? Where are we going? Where are my, where am I from? Or what choices do I have? And with an established setting that's by a publishing house or an author that you can buy, you could, you could just hand them that and they can read it and go, Oh yeah, this makes sense. And they can, you know, all that stuff and they absorb it. My beef with that is the worlds are very, can be very, very big. Yes. And, and you, if you talk fantasy and you go back to the days and even try to real life it, you know, go back to the medieval ages um, and say, how would, how would information travel? And where are things mapped? So like 1492, which is not, I mean, yeah, it was a long time ago, but it was after the medieval ages, right? I don't know my, my time and eras, years broken down, but they thought the world was flat. Right. Well, or, even if you, well, even if something as simple as it's not two thousand years ago. In your average game, average fantasy game, we have these insane timelines of five thousand years ago when the elves did this, and everybody knows that. <laughs> how does that? How does that? Anybody well, remember what happened that long ago? Well, right. So my my beef is, and what I'm getting to, is that the sense of wonderment is completely lost. When so when you come when you sit down, you're like, oh, hey, everybody, we're going to be in. You know, we're beating Forgotten Realms to death, but hey, we're going to play in Greyhawk. And everybody's like, great, I'm going to be from, I wish I could quote because I don't know Greyhawk that well. But, you know, oh, that makes sense. Great. Uh, Ferundi and whatever. Yeah, if you're from the Duchy of Jeff, yes. you say, no, I'm from Frundy. No, I'm down from, I'm actually a, a monk. I think there's like the Scarlet Brotherhood. Oh, I'm yep. out from the um, the Parmage or wherever it is. Everybody goes, oh, yeah, click, click, click. They know where it is on the map. They get it. But they, but should they know what lies beyond the big mountains? Should I mean, the characters know versus the players? B- both, right? Exactly. I would say both. Like, why? You know, because okay. the thing is, you get into a character who knows all that stuff. Then you get into the the, the player, and then they can manipulate it. So, to me, if I were to drop them into a setting, which I haven't really delved into, because I think when you do that, then you're running into a whole nother ball game. But if you sat down with players and said, okay, guess what? You are in this town, you know, and I think dungeon crawl classics always mentions this, right? Everything is really, really, really freaking far away. And your whole world is what we say, like 20 miles, 10 miles out. You know, it's kind of like middle earth, right? If you're in Bree and, or the Shire, I mean, your, your border ends in Bree, right? Yeah, that's it. The the uh, the hobbits don't even know what the riders of Rohan look like or do. Right, right. And the fact that the riders of Rohan call them Hobbitalia or something else, the, these little bitty folk, they don't even they're myth mythological creatures because they're so damn far away. Right. So now you take Pathfinder and Galarian, or you know Eberron from Wizards of the Coast, or what have you, and it's like, oh, great, I'm going to be from. Thrain, and I'm going to be, you know, and I don't mind. I don't think I, and I, I don't, I could see somebody going, well, yeah, but I could pick where I'm from and be that kind of outsider because I travel to this far off land and then I'm a stranger in a strange land or whatever. And then there's a, a, a theme that goes along with that. But what annoys the hell out of me is like everybody treats this huge, huge continent. Like we treat our modern day. Like, oh, it's like going to Canada. 
no big deal. Do 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 do. If you're playing in Traveler, I, I, or even even the uh, uh, Firefly game or something, you can understand the cosmopolitan cosmopolitan nature of something because it's futuristic or quasi modern and the ways to travel. You can get that. You could have somebody. Um, in a modern-day investigative setting in Chicago, say, hey, I'm actually from Iraq. I'm from uh, Bangalore. I'm from over here because it's a very cosmopolitan world we live in, and people can fly, and they can do this. Right. So I think what this does is it kind of leads to where some of the folks, and I'm going to give another shout-out to Robin Laws on this, is he believes, at least from what I've been hearing from him talk on his podcast and where I see his writings going, is that his settings and the system are combined. So if you want a setting that is not cosmopolitan like that, you can't be a red wizard of Thay plus from, you know, the far uh, the four cities up in the far north where, you know, Wolfgar and Drizzt and those guys came from. You can't have that. It's this setting. And the system then supports that setting in, in such a way. Um, Pendragon is one of those where, hey, it's, it's this type of Arthurian legend. It's this type of setting. These are the only types of character classes and races and so forth. You're not going to play a Zulu warrior in a Pendragon game as it's designed. Now, Grant, you can break the design. There's no gamer cop who's going to tell you no Zulu warriors, right? Then you're not going to go to jail for that. But it's built so that that's not how it works. Um, much like if you're playing, um, for crying out loud, the, the old, um, date myself a little bit, but the old um, uh, Indiana Jones game that um, TSR came out with ages back. Uh, it had, you know, the, regardless of the system, but the setting was this type of thing. You weren't usually playing somebody from, you know, it wasn't, how do I want to say, it was all based around um, that type of setting, the world, the types of travel and so forth, and it all comes comes together in, in those pieces of it. If the setting allows you to travel wherever and however, like in Amber or something like that, then great, that works. And if you don't, if the setting shouldn't do that, then they try to build a system to help kind of compress it and, and enforce the fact that you don't want to have that cos- cosmopolitan approach. Well, so, and that's another interesting point you bring up. You're just full of them, Brett. I always I'm say off. that. Like, you bring up an interesting point. <laughs> no, it's you like just my- say I'm full of it. That's what I hear that a lot. You're full of it. I'm like, dude. <laughs> I should just stop right there. You're full of it. it. Yeah. Done. Um, but the... The setting and the system can be a whole nother ball game, right? If you there's settings and systems that kind of go hand in hand, um, like I think Robin's Feng Shui, I don't know if you can pull off one without the other. I mean, I'm sure you can, right? But I think he he designs it purposely to be one and the other. Yeah, it's a, it's a con- self-contained unit. I mean, um, what do I want to say? Delta Green, any of the Call of Cthulhu things. It's it's specific. It's wrapped around Call of Cthulhu. If you were to play, take and um, how do I want to do this? If you were to play Delta Green without the Cthulhu mythos, you'd be like, I'm missing something weird. Right. This isn't this isn't Delta Green anymore. You know, because I need the mythos to be part of it. So I guess if we were, so let's take a step back for a second. The, the one of the reasons why the published stuff is really cool. Even if we take out some of the things we just uh, bitched about here, one of the cool things is from a lower cost of entry perspective, I don't have to, as a game master, produce a bunch of notes, wiki uh, entries, emails, write-ups of any kind to you to say, hey, it's this game, this setting, this world, 
and you know you want to be a dwarf elf or human because that's what we're going to be over here oh i get it i know what dwarves are in this in 13th age i'm set i got it i go um now are you saying this is lower cost I think it's a lower cost of what I would say time. And I'm not talking yeah, time. Right. I'm not talking cash out the door. I'm talking time. I think it's faster for a number of people to do it. I mean, if you look at my life now, I've got a wife and I've got five kids. I'm really busy. I've got lots of shit you going need to on. You need to stop and, being busy with five kids. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I fixed that. Anyway, the point is the point is that there's a lot of different things that can distract you. All you have to do is have one one late night at work or whatever it is. Once you hit adulthood and you're out of college, you actually have to, you know, work in the private sector and make money. Um, having someone else support your hobby or your, excuse me, your individual uh, groups, uh, adventures with new races, new classes, stuff that works. Um, hey, I don't know what to do tonight. We finally got the group together. Christ, it's been two months and I really want to run an all day adventure or something. I don't know what to do. And then you pull out X. It's the adventure that goes with Shadowrun latest edition. Perfect. I didn't even know what to do, but I, I can at least grab this module or have this thing that's already generated that everyone in the group already knows the setting and they understand it. They don't have to go, what did Brett do in Avalon last time? He ran, he played Pathfinder before, now he's doing Osric. Or was this the Osric one? How the fuck do those rules work again? No, 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 no. It's Shadowrun latest edition. Here's the adventure. You get it and you go. There's something cool about that. It's like you sit down, that's going to a con, right? If you go to a con and you're like, hey, I'm playing first edition Forgotten Realms, you know what that is. You know what third edition Forgotten Realms is. You know what third edition Greyhawk is versus first edition Greyhawk. You know, if, if um, and on the other hand, if you take a game like a uh, Dungeon World, Dungeon World, in my reading of it, is designed so you're building the world together as part of that entire game. So that's a system that's designed to help you build the setting. You know, it's a it's designed to build a custom setting. I don't know of a dungeon world setting that you could buy right now. No, maybe, no. Maybe I, it's just maybe I'm just missing something. No, it would go it would go against the principles of the game itself. I mean, it's one of the yep. things is you draw a map and you leave blanks is one of the things that it kind of promotes. But yeah, um, so the the settings that go with the system. We mentioned a few of those. Um, a lot of the Pelgrim Presses gumshoes, gumshoe games. So those are, and we've mentioned before, t- uh, Trail of Cthulhu, Esoteris, um, t- I think Time Watch. God, I'm going to mention that because last time, Kevin Culp, I-, I ran, I know Kevin because I shared a cab with him. Um, and I'm going to get your best friends now. I know. Right. And he actually, he played, he actually ran me through a game. He's like, Hey dude, you want to play this game? I'm like, awesome. So time watch is his, there you go. His, his system that he came up with. He kickstarted it. So I wanted to make sure I put that in there. Um, so that's all Pelgrim, not all Pelgrim press, but that's some of the gumshoe system games that they publish. Um, and you mentioned anything by Robin D laws, which includes Feng Shui, is it Feng Shui or Feng Shui? It's Feng Shui, right? I don't know. All I, all I want to do is rearrange my furniture every time I every time I see it. <laughs> Feng Shui. Feng Shui is like I think it's S E H E N G. I don't know. Email us. Tell us what the hell we're talking about. Um, Call of Cthulhu Delta Green. So that's the secret agent. Call of Cthulhu. Verse. Well, like, de- yeah, that's a that's the. Um, X Files. That, that's the X Files. It's well, yeah. I mean, it, it was out before X Files, right? But it's it's good. 
Yeah. It's really good stuff. I mean, I, I, I've heard good things about it. I haven't played it, but it, it kind of it intrigues me because I'm like, I like the espionage shit. And that, even uh, Knights Dark uh, Knights Black Agents. Knights, Knights Black Agents. Freaking Knights Black Agents by Pelgrin, yep. you know, kind of has that agent dark underworld Seediness. Yeah, that, that one you're uh, that one is uh jason Bourne versus vampires yeah that one's awesome okay and uh delta green they're doing a new version of it actually right now if you go to their uh, website and stuff you can you can see what they're up to yeah there's a new edition of that coming out but i mean so to do, do i mean if you now the other the other component of having something that's pre-built is if you say hey i want to play a superheroes game yeah. i want to play in the marvel universe click if we're marvel nerds we all know what the marvel i know who captain right. america is and who freaking Spider-Man is. And I say, no, 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 I'm going to run a DC thing. Okay, I know Batman, I know Superman, I know Green Lantern, and so on. And um, if you say, hey, I want to run Cyberpunk, you know, even if you take just the um, take the rules out and just talk setting again, like we're like we're trying to do, <laughs> like we're trying to do, um, there's something really cool about some of these. I'll call them iconic setting, you know, settings that are out there. That within the hobby, we know what they are. You know, Deadlands. I know what Deadlands is. I have never played a Deadlands game, any either the Savage Worlds version or the original version. I know what it is. It's Weird West. It is it's really cool. I have the uh, uh, Reloaded version for Savage Worlds. I have it. Read it. Loved it. Just haven't run it yet. Um, it's a blast. It just, you read it. It's a cool thing. And in the gaming hobby, you mention those things. Everybody knows what that is. So, and so I think isn't there like three kind of things that we're touching on with settings? There is the one that ties into the system, right? You can't have mm-hmm. one without the other. Yeah. Then you've got one where it's kind of like um, one you can use in any system, right? So you talk about Marvel and DC, right? And they've had multiple systems using those universes. Correct. All right. So you, everybody knows the setting, but they may not know the system. So when we when I say something like, "Hey, let's pl- play a supers game," and it's all going to be thematic around Marvel universe, then the next person's question is, "Well, what's what system are you going to use with that?" Right. Yep. And then, I think that's go ahead. go ahead. Keep going. No, no, you you go. no no you go. Oh, okay. I'll go then. So <laughs> what I was going to say is that is one of the pieces that. It's the elevator pitch that if you have a homebrew setting that you need to be able to to give to a new player. So you're running Champions. I've never played Champions, Brett. What's that like? Well, it's a superheroes game. So think Marvel and DC universes, but um, in this other thing or, or whatever, like however your mashup or whatever you want to do, or even if you're just using it exactly like that saying look it's like marvel and dc i just don't use those named characters i don't use the ip i don't use the batman name right wherever it is but you can make anybody you want who's like that oh that's cool i'm in champions where where are we playing we're playing in los angeles great that's like that's like mutants and masterminds or exactly uh silver age of sentinels and where if you play you say hey i'm playing dungeons dragons tonight you want to play you're like well okay that sounds cool um what where are you setting it that's a question that's asked now. When I was a kid, we didn't ask that. When I first started playing, we were like, okay, what modular are you running? No, we gave a shit what, what world you were in. We didn't care. We just made up a dungeon, and someone from town sent you to go do something, kill orcs or find a dragon or rescue something or whatever. There was no setting when I first started, you know, because we just wanted to go kill stuff. Well, I think with, with D&D, it's interesting because it's always going to be a type of a fantasy. Now, you're right, and I think up until, like, 
Planescape and some of the new ones like um, Planescape and what's the other Spelljammer? Uh, not well, yeah, Spelljammer. <laughs> oh my god! And, Indian space. And what's the uh, and Dark Sun? Right up until yep. those. I mean, Greyhawk, Forgotten Realms, Dragonlance, um, Birthright. Those yeah. are all variations of the same theme, right? Exactly. They're all middle, middle, mid medieval, medieval, yeah, medieval. kind of middle ages, yeah. mid medieval. Yeah. Get a medieval on your asses. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think, like, if somebody said, "Hey, we're playing D D tonight," and you wanted to play D and I think in your brain you're gonna hit those first like four settings. You're gonna hit Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk, or it's gonna be Homebrew, but it's gonna be medieval setting. Where you still nowadays you kind of gotta go well oh okay great D and D what tell me about it oh it's a Dark Sun campaign oh I don't know much about that that's complete you know that's different I don't know much about that I don't think it comes up huge and it's like the the main question because I think people just go oh D and D boom fantasy got it I'm there but I do think yeah I'm, with some of the I don't know I'm gonna talk myself into circles about this. Well, the fun thing, though, to take the published versus homebrew, as we started with, when you have a published one and you have a new player and somebody wants to sit down and play with you, you say, hey, I'm running this. Oh, okay. You can say, go to this website, because we have this now. Um, go to Wizard of the Coast and check out the Forgotten Realm stuff, because that's where I'm setting it. And go to um, Chaosium's website and run in a basic role-playing game system and check out this thing, the little, you know, the cell sheet that they have on this particular piece of it, because that's what I'm doing. Go to Iron Crown and check out their harp stuff. Check out Rollmaster. Check out whatever. You can send somebody somewhere to do some research because it's pre-published, it's pre-packaged, and they already have a cell sheet for you. If it's something, your own setting that you've built, there is nowhere to go other than your head for the data. Right. And if you want to arm your players with what that's supposed to be like, there's more work for you. You have to write it down or you have to have a lecture session, which is not a lot of fun for a lot of people. But it usually it comes to writing it down pages and pages. It's not just, you know, a little bullet list, but you have to be able to have something together that people can reference as to where you're supposed to be, what it's supposed to be about, what the main activity is in that in that world and so on. And if you don't want to have to do that extra homework, the published the published setting really, I think, comes to uh, com- comes into its own at that point. Yeah, I just wish players wouldn't buy the settings. Yes, <laughs> like, Jesus, man. You know, even, there's there's it, an interesting point about that though, right? Is that's what you're getting at before? Is it's too cosmopolitan because I, as the player, know everything or more than my game master does about this world. If I've read everything about Pendragon, and I know all the shit that ever was written about it more than you. <sighs> Does Sean have to argue with Brett every five minutes on this, or have to look to Brett to be the to be the authority on something? When if you're built it yourself, and this is where I think my group is really having a lot of fun with it. And one of the reasons I like doing it is the mystery is there. They do not know what lies beyond the border of the map I drew because I don't know yet. I have not written it out. I might have sketch notes somewhere. But I, I'll, um, I'll never forget this. I was at a Gen Con. I think it was one of the last ones in Milwaukee. I was at a seminar with Ed Greenwood. And he was talking about how people were doing different things and how he expanded the realms and whatever. And he said, you know, I was sitting there one time and, and uh, they said, we want to, you know, 
whatever we're doing, to hell with that. We want to go over here. And they point out on the map. He said, oh, I, well, I'll be right back after I went up to the bathroom. He said, I go upstairs, flush the toilet a few times, trying to think of what the heck. And I'm obviously paraphrasing in a horrible fashion. But, you know, what lies beyond that mountain range? Because he hadn't developed it yet. He's, you know, he's dreaming it up on the spot. And there's something cool about that when you're playing in it. And that's one of the things that I really think is uh, very attractive about the Dungeon World game. Is you get when you're doing it together like that, you are you're so much more invested in what's new, what's behind there. That sense of wonder is there, even if it's a D and D system, but it's Sean's world that I've never seen before. And he go and he pops out something. Part of me says, you know what? It looks like a goblin, but this is Sean's world. What do Sean's goblins do that are different? Right. And even if Sean's goblins kick my ass in the same weak way I figure all little weak goblins should, ah, his goblins are the same. No big deal. Whoa, we got lucky there. Next time I run into something, what do those trolls in Sean's world look like? You know, and that's kind of cool. There is something you can take that old and make it new when you've had a bunch of uh, players who are jaded, if you will, to some of the, oh, yeah, it's it's a troll. That means it has X number of hit dice in this armor class or whatever the case may be. Because they don't quite know what Sean's cooked up because it's going to be a little different. It's Sean's world. Yeah, I got to give a buddy of mine, Mark, uh, a lot of credit. And I don't know if he'll ever hear this podcast or not, but we I gamed with Mark for quite some time in an old game group. It was after my Star Wars game, and he had a homebrew, and he put a lot of work into it. And everything was new, and, and nothing was you couldn't find any of his monsters in any book anywhere. So literally like, he'd be like, Oh, that's a brawly. And you're like, what's, what the hell's a brawly? Well, it kind of looks like this. And he would describe it. It would be almost like this tree creature, not a Trent or a treant, but, um, something smaller, like a twig bite maybe, but it was out. You wouldn't, I mean, you just came to know it as a brawly. Because right? that's what it was. Because that's what it was. And it, you didn't have any preconceived notions. And the world was smaller and everything was new. And it was a really good campaign that he did really, really well. And he's a good GM. Um, but there, at the at the same time, you'd come up short with like, well, I don't, I don't know where we are. I don't know where we're going. I don't know the culture. And I don't, you know. But he would try to give you enough backstory so you at least had some type of explanation of what was going on and why. And he had, like, blood druids in there and why the blood druids acted the way they did and had particular magic. And it was really, it was a very, 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 very low magic. Like, if you ran into magic, it would be like, oh, my God. As a matter of fact, I don't think any of us play spellcaster because he just said they weren't really allowed. Um, but yeah, those homebrews are really, I think, capture something that you don't get in a lot of published adventures because people just pick it up like it's an, you know, an atlas and like, hey, great, where am I? Okay, great. Oh, this is how far it is to there. And, you know, once we get there, it's like, you know, it might as well just be modern day where you're sent to Antarctica to explore, you know, a cave in the ice somewhere. I mean, that would be like what it is equal to today or saying, hey, I'm going to go to Germany and Augsburg. They found this or even just even Siberia. Oh, they big, found a big hole in the ground. But you know where Siberia is and you know how long it takes to get there and how much it's going to cost and the people you're going to run into. And then you get there and there's a big hole in the ground. It's like, oh, now the adventure starts at the hole in the ground versus the adventure starts with. I walk out my door and I travel 10 miles and I have no freaking clue. What where is, I am. <laughs> where you are, where you're going. 
Well, there's a there's an interesting piece you, you touched on there is when, when you said that um, your buddy didn't have some of the answers. And if you're playing in a homebrew game, this is some advice I throw out to uh, to players, is you have to be a little forgiving to your game master. Because there's a certain point when there's game masters out there who, you know, that are amazing. They can do amazing things. They can think on their feet faster than I can. They are smarter than I am. All that cool stuff. Granted, there's probably only two of them. But anyway, they're out there somewhere. You can find them. Um, <laughs> point being, though, is that when you when you put your heart and soul into something and you're building a world, you know, and be gentle when you level your criticism at them, right? I mean, it's one thing you pick on your buddies, and I get that, and, you know, hey, you know, so-and-so will give you shit, and you, you deal with it. My wife will pick on me when she's playing games with me, like, oh, really, Brett? Really? When did you come up with that one? Yeah, I know, but the point is, is that I'm not going to have all the answers because I don't have the Greyhawk as a tear sitting next to me. I don't have the 13th Age Guide to whatever next to me. I don't have that, and we have to make it up, and we have to work on this together. So, if you get into the the homebrew world, you get into that custom setting that you're helping design, that home world, um, remember you're helping the game master come up with it. And it's not bad form to say, I really think that based on everything you said, X is the best way that this would go down. What do you think, Sean? And Sean may very well say, you know what, Brett, that's a damn good idea. The blood druids act like this because they've acted this other way. For the last five times you've seen them, and now they're getting more knowledge on the blood druids. Yeah, I totally dig that. They should be heading in this direction, and this should be their base of operations, and this should be the type of thing that they do every Sunday or whatever the case may be. So you can't cry foul, right? Is I shouldn't say you can't cry foul, but when you do, remember that it's one, it's very personal, well, because this person, this man, this woman built this thing, they put a lot of effort into it, and they're really trying to make something that's a lot of fun. And two, there is no published work for you to reference to say, oh, yeah, shit, I forgot. In 13th Age, uh, trolls do this, and I forgot that they're not just like Pathfinder trolls. They're slightly different. My apologies. Off we go. It's a homebrew world, and it could be different. It might be slightly off, and just because you challenge it, that you know, just roll with it. You've got to go with it and, you know... It's just because it's not working the way you assumed it should be working doesn't mean it's wrong. So we're um, we should probably. So there's a lot to talk about settings for sure, and I know we can keep going on and on. And I know that we had a few people chime in on what their favorite settings were, um, and I'm start, I'm trying to pull those up as we speak. But before, so as I'm doing that, um, there's different the IP versus you know, homebrew, we mentioned how you can have settings that are intricate to the system. And we've, we're going to have a, a list of a lot of settings on in the show notes, but um, obviously there's tons more by, by all means. Um, and let us know what your favorite setting is and why um, either call us or drop us an email or what have you. But um as I'm looking, Brett, so we, I mean, just to name a few. So we've got sci-fi, even cyberpunk is interesting. You've got cyberpunk 2020. You've got Shadowrun, which is fantasy and cyberpunk at the same time. Um, corporation is kind of a cyberpunkish, futuristic where the corporations, I think there's five big ones. And so there's elements you got interface zero from savage worlds. You know, it can be overwhelming even just with, you know what 
what genre you want to play like okay i want to play a western rpg well what is that okay that's aces and eights and or you can do deadlands or you could do this so why would somebody choose i guess i'll pose this to you brett why would somebody choose one setting over another (sighs) interesting (laughs) that's a big question i think the for me i pick my settings based on what i know my group wants to do and that i think will be fun um part of it for us i I mentioned this last time is my group said we haven't played a sci-fi game in forever so they've thrown some ideas at me saying i like this type of thing i like um i like Shadowrun, but more blade runner i like hard sci-fi and somebody else says i don't like it quite so hard i like this other type of thing so for me picking a setting comes down to if you a couple different things so let, let me see if i work my way through this if you really want your setting and your system to be fully integrated, right? If you want to be able to say, you know what? I want to make sure that when I play this type of setting, I want to play a Jack Vance type of setting. I want to do Dying Earth. Well, why would you not pick up the Dying Earth system and setting that Pelgrane puts out, right? It's all sitting, excuse me, setting and system fully integrated, 100% locked and loaded. It all ties together. Um, less work, all connected. It's supposed to help the flavor, everything you want to do, that type of thing. That's great. If you want to have a setting that's system agnostic, and you want to be able to say, I want to play this type of thing, but make sure that it can fit whatever setting, you know, whatever system we might want to use. You know, I have, I want to play a investigative Call of Cthulhu type of game. Well, there's a lot of different systems out there that could do that. But picking a setting that helps you do the main activity that your group wants to get done. Killing orcs and taking their stuff, um, investigating ancient forgotten gods, traveling through the stars, um, whatever you have, even if it's something as, you know what, our core activity is building a world together. We really like that. You might want to find a setting that helps you do such a thing. You know, there are there are places out there that say, hey, you know what, this setting is wide open. You're just, you're going out there. It's a very exploratory thing. You're going out there busting out into the Wild West trying to figure out where things are, where the case is. Pick the setting that falls into the core activity that your group wants to do, and then you can you can take it apart from there. That's how I approach it. So before we we unveil our own special favoritism towards a particular setting, a couple of the people that had gotten wind that of uh, we would be talking about this, I know Kev Thulu, obviously with his uh, monarch moniker wash shocker call of cthulhu 1920s is far away his favorite um just and the, one of the reasons and it's just not hey it's my favorite because it is um there's actually some people put some rationale into this so he said supporting materials are generally free and it's very easy for everyone to visualize the settings used which is nice um captain captain napalm you know um Lenny. He's got a few of them. He's got Greyhawk um, is like one of his top ones just because Forgotten Realms is high magic. Uh, original World of Darkness until they introduced Hunter. Deadlands, probably the absolute best setting of all time, but he's not a big fan of the rule set. Delta Green, Deadlands variant, particularly Weird Wars, Dark Sun, second best D&D world, Freeport, um, Iron Kingdoms is honorable mentions. And our buddy Michael, 
Old Hauser mentioned Iron Kingdoms is probably his favorite. Garwiz, uh, Verld, uh, Alderazer from Hackmaster, Knights of the Dinner Table, uh, gets a mention because I've loved the comics for so long. Tim, my buddy Tim here in Madison, uh, he's a big he's a big indie publisher type of game player. Um, he mentions his favorite setting being the one his fellow players and uh, he get to create at the table as they play. So most published settings either feel too restrictive or too vague to interact with him, which I we touched on a little bit. And I think you know Dungeon World. I know he's played probably a few more times than I have. Um, let's see. I think those are the ones that we, we've gotten feedback on just before, um, we recorded, but Brett, your favorite published setting would be what? Um, shit. Uh, you first. I don't know yet. You go punt sean yeah i know right um i don't you know i don't know if i have a specific favorite setting necessarily some people can answer like dude this is why bam boom um mine not so much because i like so much variety where i think that if i played in different ones i'd like them for different reasons so pinning one up against the other would be pretty tough like i'd say well i don't like this one because it doesn't have this but then i like this one because it doesn't have that um I can tell you, I, you know, I think growing up, I didn't even play in a setting. We just played the modules and wherever they were, you were like, Hey, you're at, uh, you're in Pharaoh and you're going through the desert and you come across Amon Ray and he speaks to you and says this, and you're like, it, it could be anywhere. Um, I was adverse to Eberron. It's a pretty decent one. I like that. I got a lot of the source books for Eberron. I played it for quite some time. It's quite high magic. Forgotten Realms appeals to me. Greyhawk from a D&D perspective, and I like Greyhawk, even though I haven't adventured a lot in it, is just because it's kind of like, goes back to a lot of the roots of D&D is the canon piece, the the canon setting for D&D. And it's, I'm not, you know, high magic is, I don't want people walking into a store and going, hey, I want to buy whatever magic item I can. Um. So that's a hard one for me to kind of really pin down, but I think some of those that I mentioned. I think I'm going to go with um, my favorites would be, I like Greyhawk, um, the original World of Darkness. I had so much fun with that. And also uh, Call of Cthulhu and and the multiple variant settings of that one. Just that environment that call of cthulhu setting itself regardless of time or space haha um it's just it's a really good and uh, well well put together and i mean setting overall and everything you can do with it is just awesome it's a really cool thing i think i think are you ready ready for this one that i want to give out should i throw this one up sure do it my favorite one brett is the one i haven't played in yet Oh, that's so attractive. Isn't that? Isn't that? <laughs> that's so artsy. I know, right? It's so, so good. Although I think something you said there at the end, and I've been thinking about this while we've been chatting, one of the cool things about the hobby is that if you want to do something in whatever setting, anywhere you want, it's out there somewhere. And if it's not, you can make it. If you want setting and system tied, very integral, you can find such a thing. If you don't care and you want to run something that's agnostic to to system, it's out there. You can find it. might have to do a little bit of work. But I would really encourage you to um, try alter, all 
types of settings. Sorry, I was going to say alternate and all types at the same time there. Get out there, try different things. If you've played something and you say, you know what, um, somebody's got the Ghostbusters RPG, they want to crack that sucker out. I've never played it. I'm going to try it. I have uh, GURPS Bunnies and Burrows. I've never played it. I own it. I want to try it sometime. It's fun. I mean, this is part of the hobby is get out there and try it because you may say, you know what, I just don't like sci-fi. I'm not a big sci-fi guy. Lasers, blah, blah, blah. But your buddies say, you know what, I really like to play this um, the Star, uh, Star Wars game. I really want to give it a shot. Okay, fine. I know enough about Star Wars. So I'll play it. You may have a hell of a good time. Or you may very well find out why you really don't like sci-fi. But give it a shot. It's absolutely worth doing. Try a homebrew game. Build your own. Try one of your friends. Get in on it. Just be kind. Be polite. And help them work through any kinks or, or issues that they might have. But you can have a lot of fun doing this stuff. Don't get stuck and all you do is play one setting all the time. Expand your horizons. It's worth it. It's worth your time. Yeah. Having said that, let's move into die roll. Die roll, where we come up with anywhere from two to five different things that just kind of pique our brains over the uh, the last week since our last episode um, that we may be doing or find interesting either in the gaming realm or the geek realm. Brett, let's start off with what you've got going. Yep, I started an old school red box D and D game, basic D and D, Frank Metzner style, with my kids, um, my daughter and my two boys. My youngest daughter I should say she's six, and AJ is eight, and Connor's fifteen, and they had a blast. They killed goblins and orcs, and fought an evil shaman, and almost died a couple times, and owe a big favor to a church who had to spot them for healing potions, and it was a hoot. It was so much fun. And I've been begged now for the last two days, can we play again, Daddy? So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I bet you they probably want to play like every day. Yes, every day. <laughs> <laughs> so I've decided next this next Wednesday we're doing it again. So and the reason we're doing it this next Wednesday is because for um <clears throat> one of my other die rolls here is that this next weekend I'm uh Saturday I've got two gaming events. One's at the uh at the uh, gaming club up at uh at Everest, the Evercon guys, we're going to run a game up there. My son Connor's coming up with me. And then I'm running for my normal group, my Avalon game. And then after that, I'm taking off Sunday, going to Upper Michigan to go deer hunting. It's archery season. So I'll be gone for the entire week, coming back on Halloween. So that'll be fun. And the final one I have is that my oldest boy, Connor, started uh, taking taekwondo uh, lessons with me. I've been doing this for 26, 27 years. And uh, my two my two youngest started uh, as soon as they were sixth. Um, they both got into it, having a lot of fun with it, and uh, Connor decided he wanted to give it a go. So he's been having a good time. He's been in for a couple weeks now. He's liking it. So I'm pretty proud of him. It's pretty cool. Excellent stuff. Yeah, that picture of your uh, you at the, the kids at the table at that game session is just so full of win. I can't even. It's that's great. I mean, I love it. I love to see those little. Little kids getting into the hobby because I think I mean there's probably more of it going on than what's out there, but hopefully there's a lot of people spreading the word and getting the younger yep. groups into it. Um, Absolutely. Can you hear that? Yes, I can. That's that's good. That's Halloween themed. My stupid cat just opened the door and did it so slowly <laughs> that it creaked. I'm gonna leave that in. My buddy Stello that. Oh, yeah. Anyways, sneaky cat. Yeah. So I'm gonna mention Fantist Fantisticon, which it, or Fantasticon. 
maybe is what it is. Uh, it'll be in the show notes. I didn't know about this. A buddy of mine hit me up on uh, SMS and asked if I was going this weekend, um, which I am not. But it's Milwaukee's Comic Con, and you can actually go to that. And I'm gonna, hopefully we'll drop this episode with at least a few days for you to get a heads up um, if you wanted to go. They've got a few pretty big name stars that are going to be there. Um, check it out at fantasticonmilwaukee.com. Again, in the show notes. Um, he's going to go dress. He's taking like his wife and his daughter, who's I think probably like three years old now, and they're all going to dress up and go down there. And I think he, my buddy Jeff dresses up like Darth Vader, and he's got like almost the you know 501st Legion certified Darth Vader costume. He's kind of an nice. up Yeah, yeah. Um, the second one I wanted to bring up, which some people, if you haven't seen, Lockheed Martin, okay, uh, defense contractor at large, they've got a skunk works, right? And uh, they've made actual progress on nuclear fusion. So this ah, is more... Uh, everybody says that every year somebody's done it. I don't know about that. Is that they've got it posted. I'm going to put a link into the Wired, uh, to Wired.com's article about it. If you Google it, it's going to come up with a, dot, a lot of different resources. But I think this is great. I, I was telling my wife, I'm like, you know, we were talking about a lot of different things that, you know, she had seen in Discovery Magazine and I had seen about this and we were kind of bopping them off each other one night. And I said, you know, this thing, if this is true and if what they say is accurate, where they're talking about being able to use fusion technology as an energy source – I mean, I think it's like a, I don't know, a 10 by 10 size reactor that could power like 20,000 homes. I mean, it's ridiculous that, you know, I mean, if this is, if this thing is for real and this comes to fruition, man, this thing is. If it works, it's awesome. If it's true, it's going to change humanity, man. It really is one way or another. I, I sincerely believe that you heard it here first for me, changing humanity. All right. <laughs> All right. Number three, uh, American Horror Story. Have you seen this, Brett? I have not. My wife actually started watching it on Netflix, and uh, she says it's pretty good. I've seen a couple different ads for it, and it's been one of those things I want to watch. And there's a number of them on Netflix, so i got to grab a season or two and give it a watch. So my wife and I got on it really early, the first series or the first season um, and each so what they do is each season each season they change the storyline, and so it's never the same characters from one season to the next. It's not the same setting from one season to the next. So the first setting, um, and then some of the stars change, but there's a core group that have have gone through. I think they're into season three or four now. Um, and this year or this season is uh, American Horror Story. Oh my God! And I should have wrote that. Um, is the is the um, oh shoot? Wasn't it? It was Coven last what, year, wasn't it? What would you say? As, not this year. Asylum's old. Freak show, freak show. My wife's yelling from like four rooms away. Um, American story, American horror story, freak show. Which so this has got to be like uh, circus people. Yep. Yep. Okay. And so the one prior to that was Asylum, which she she was yelling at first. Um, and then before that was 
Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. Well, actually, the one just before the one just before Freak Show should have been uh, Coven. I think. Yes, last Coven. Year. You're right. Actually, you're absolutely okay. right. So I saw was, the ads for it. I haven't seen it. I just saw the ads for it. I don't remember it. Yeah. That, so that type the, of shit's right up my alley. So I got to watch this. Yeah. Yeah. So an Asylum Coven. So Asylum takes place in a mental asylum in like the 1960s or 50s. Uh, so really creepy, um, and it's run by. Catholic nuns, um, Jessica Lang stars in it, um, as well as a few other well-known uh, stars. And then Coven is about a, a coven of witches down in uh, Louisiana, and it kind of goes back in history, then comes forward to modern day. So there's a couple, a few tie-ins and lookbacks. Um, and then they've got uh, Kathy Bates started in Coven. Now she's in. Um, freak show so a cool. few have moved over freak shows but it's it's i like it it's a good if you like horror uh i, I the reason i like it is because it's a show that nobody else is doing out there if if so if you if you don't like any of this genre or any of the stars or any of the plots that's why that's why i see it is if nobody else is doing it it's, it's worth checking out at least once but again if it's not something you get into and, and some of them is they're a little bit more further out than like freak show can is kind of kooky like whoa freaky coven there's parts of it but it's not all that cra- okay. craziness if you, well just that that ties in the whole setting concept right try something different get out there you can have a shtick that you like but mix it up a bit try something different yeah I think the first season was pretty tame. And if if you can, and a lot of people may have abandoned it after the first season because it was kind of tame. But if you get into horror um, and you can get to freak show, it's it's well worth checking out. So do that. Um, and I think a lot of the episodes are online after they air, if I'm not mistaken. You can view them online if I'm not sure. And then I think you mentioned Brett that they're on Netflix, so there'll be a link in the the show notes for sure. Check those out when you get a second. But this is wrapping up episode six on settings. We should probably do that. Yeah, I think we should wrap it up. We've uh, rambled enough around it. It's, it's it's like anything else within gaming. There's a thousand different angles to talk about and touch anything, and some of them are so interconnected. But good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Uh, my name is Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming, folks.